Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we are going to continue our study of the book of Ezra, and we are going to study chapter 8. Just to remind you, chapter 7, we learned of the um, support that Ezra received from the Persian king for his mission to bring more Jews back to the land of Israel. So they left Babylon and left the Persian Empire and traveled to Israel to join those who had already been in Israel. By this point, the um, uh, Beit HaMikdash, the new temple, had already been standing for some 20 to 30 years or so, for a generation or two, and Jews had already returned for about two generations to the land of Israel. As we studied first by building the Mizbeach, the altar, and then eventually finally getting the support they needed to build the temple itself. Uh, so there's several generations of Jews living in the land of Israel. However, the bulk of the Jewish people still living in exile in various places in the Persian kingdom. Ezra decides to lead a group of people to go join the people in the land of Israel and their encounter between the newly returning exiles and those that had already settled in the land is what the next three chapters is going to be devoted to. We, can, we finished chapter 7 by Ezra's uh, uh, special prayer of thanks to God for giving, um, for putting, um, for, for uh, securing uh, the support of the king for his endeavor, for his trip, and for the king giving him uh, what he needed to go in terms of money and political support and so on. So first, the beginning of chapter 8 is going to start off just listing names of families. I'll go through this quickly. That went along with Ezra, and the following is a list of the heads of the families that uh, were traveling with Ezra and their yichus, meaning their um, genealogy, that came up with me. This is all being written in the first person by Ezra himself. The Malchut Artachshasta during the reign of King Artaxerxes Hamelach Mibabel, the king from Babylon. We've variously referred to the Persian kings as the kings of Persia, the kings of Babylon, the kings of Assyria, and that's not coincidental. The Persian kings considered themselves the the um, the um, um, the uh, inheritors, the ones who they considered themselves the um, successors to the great Babylonian empire that preceded them and the great Assyrian empire that preceded that, all now subsumed into the, what was now the great Persian empire. So, Mibnei Pinchas of the sons descendant of Pinchas, that's, that's Pinchas, the famous son of Aaron, um, of biblical fame, um, Gershom, uh, his, he, his, he had a son, Gershom, Itamar, from the children of Itamar, another one of the sons of Aaron. Um, Daniel, David, Chatush, from the sons of David, presumably King David, that would be Chatush, was, was a descendant of David. Zechariah, from the sons of Shechaniah, the sons of Parosh, was the name, a man by the name of Zechariah. And with him, there were approximately 150 men, presumably we're not counting the women and children that came along with them, just the men that were considered the heads of those families. So here we're not listing the entire um, um, 
group of people were just listening to the families in their heads. The Bnei Pachat Moav, from the um, sons of Pachat Moav, El Yehoenai, Ben Zerachia, Vimo Masayim Adcharim, he had 200 men with him. Bnei Shechanin, Ben Yachaziel, Vimo Shloshmeot Hazcharim, there were 300 men. Umne Adin, Eved Ben Yonasan, from the sons of Adin, uh, and Ev was was a man named Eved Ben Yonasan, Vimo Chamishim Hazcharim, 50 men. Umne Elam, Yishaya, Ben Atayel, Vimo Shivim Hazcharim, he had 70 men. From the children of Yoav, Ovadia ben Yechiel, Vimo Masayim, Ushmon Asar Hazcharim, 218 men. ben Yosifia, Vimo Mea Vishishim Hazcharim, that's 160. ben Bevai, Vimo Asim Ushmon Hazcharim, 28. Asgod, Yochanan ben Hakatan, there was 120. And the ones taken up the rear at, in the, the last group was the children of Adoni Kam, Motam, and these were their names Elifelet, Yeel, Ushimaya, Vimoim, Shishimaz Chorim, and they had a group of 60 men with them. And then Umibne Bigvai, Utai, Vizakor, Vimoshivimaz Chorim, 70. Okay, so these are the names of the families that came along with Ezra. Uh, initially. So they gathered together to get ready to set out in this, this big caravan <coughs> uh, to join their brethren in the Holy Land. The Ekpetzaim, the El Hanahar, and I gathered them all together at the river Habo El Ahava, the river that, that flows into a place called Ahava. This is Ahava, not the word Ahava in Hebrew, which means love. This is a Vav, not a Vet. Um, so it's a different place somewhere in the Persian kingdom. And we camped there for three days, presumably getting their supplies ready, getting making sure they had their provisions ready for the road, etc. And I, um, I checked out, Avina means I, I studied the people that I had with me, right? And among the Kohanim, but there were no Levites. I had some Kohanim, some priests. I had some, rip, uh, uh, you know, regular Jews, Judeans, but I couldn't find any Levites. So I needed to, um, uh, you know, I'm going to bring more people, and presumably we're going to help in the service in the temple in Jerusalem. We need Levites. So Vo'eshlochalo Eliezer La'ariel Ishmael Lel Nason Uliyariv. So I sent for this list of, of men who were Levites, heads of Levite families, and to Yoyoriv and Elnason, who Mivinim literally means those that are understanding, presumably means they are educated and they uh, were able to uh, teach and um, in the ways of the Levium. So I needed not just Levites, but I needed Levites who could teach the Levites how to do their jobs. So Vo'atzave'osam al-ido harosh, and I um, commanded them, I told them, regarding Ido, who was in charge of all of them, Bichasifia, in a place called Kasifia, Hamakom, the place, and I gave them the following um, message, right? To say to Ido, their brother, um, um, 
Bechasifia that they should uh, bring the Nisinim. Now, Nisinim before meant the Nitinim, the descendants of the Givonim from the days back in Joshua's days who were the temple servants. Sometimes the word Nitinim is simply used as a generic term for temple servants. It doesn't refer specifically to the people that were genetically Nitinim or descendant of those families which we did have some of those families mentioned before in the earlier return to Israel. But here it just means those that are temple servants, b'chasifya hamakom, that were present in this place called chasifya. L'havilanu misharsim, to bring along with them some servants for the house of God, right? Presumably, that, based on the context, that would that could mean nitinim, bring along actual nitinim for the servants who did drawing water and, and, and gathering wood and so on, other supplies. But um, it could also be a reference to the Levi and the Levites who were also servants in the house of God, who would be under the broad category of Nitinim in the sense of being temple servants. And they brought that back to us. So in other words, we sent out to the Jews that presumably planned on sticking around and staying in, the, in, the, in, in exile, um, we said we need more people um, for our group to be successful. Send us more people. So, um, because God was was um, was generous to us, they did send us some more people, and they sent us Ish Sechel, a very smart man. A Sechel <clears throat> sometimes means successful, sometimes means smart. Here, it more like means a skilled person, a a, a person with a lot of skills possibly a person with leadership skills, Mibnei Machli ben Levi ben Yisrael, who was from the family of Machli, who was one of the descendants of Levi, of, uh, who was a son uh, of, of Israel. V'sheirevia, and not just him, but Sheirevia, Uvanov, and his sons, Ve'echav, and his brothers, Shmonosr, for a total of 18 men. And more people also, V'et Chashavia, V'ito Yeshaya, Mibnei Merari, they also brought in some of the descendants of Mirari, another one of the descendants of the Levite families, Echav of Esrim, another 20. So that refers to the Nitinim in reference to the assistants in the temple that were Levites. But we also brought actual Nitinim, Uminatinim, Shenasan David, Vihasorim, Lavodat Halavim. And from the Nitinim, which David, meaning King David, back in the day, right, had. had had given them the job of assisting the Levites and um, in in um, and um, working for the temple. We had two hundred and twenty of those. They were all listed out by name. So at this point, we're so we have so Ezra now has what he needs. He has temple servants. Nitinim. He has Levites. He has priests. He has Juda- Judeans. So he has all the groups represented gathered together a group which um, I didn't add the numbers but if you were paying attention not all that large um, maybe a couple thousand at the most people to come along with Ezra to come to the temple where if you recall there was some 42,000 plus people that had come two generations ago presumably over the last two generations their population must have increased by some degree so we may have been dealing with I don't know I'm just obviously guessing 60, 70,000 people. And here you have a group of pilgrims, basically, or, or immigrants, a few thousand immigrants, led by Ezra, the great Torah scholar. 
when they're about to set off on their path, I'm up to verse 21, and there, after we gathered everyone together, and we spent several days getting our supplies together, I then declared a fast day, a day of prayer, to fast, and to pray in front of our God, to pray from Him that we have a straight path, meaning a straight, safe, successful journey to Israel, to the land of Israel. For us and for our children that were coming along, and for all of the possessions and things that we were bringing along. Obviously, we need them for our own sustenance. We're also bringing supplies for the temple. We prayed that we should be successful. Now, I'm about to read verse 22, which, in my opinion, is one of the most remarkable and telling verses in this book, possibly in many books of, the, of Tanakh. And it really brings out the incredible difference between where the position of the Jews are now as Ezra is leading a group of immigrants to the Holy Land under the thumb of the Persian Empire, and where they were when they came to set up the first temple many hundreds of years before that and set up the first um, uh, kingdoms and so on in the land of Israel and the first temple. And that is, is that we saw that this entire endeavor was only possible because it was blessed by and supported by the kings of Persia. There was no independent political leadership only in the sense of appointed officials that were appointed and supported by the Persian government. It was acutely felt by Ezra, clearly acutely felt by Ezra and all other leaders of the time, including those that we studied before that came with the first group, Zerubbabel and Yoshua ben, <coughs> ben Yotzadak, um, that, and of course acutely felt by the people that as much as they wanted to and dreamed about coming back to their land, reestablishing a new temple, uh, establishing a new government and kingdom and independence, what actually happened was very, very different. What actually happened was they were still a very small, minuscule little province in the vast Persian Empire that was completely dependent on the Persian Empire for everything, including their very safety. And... Um, and, and, and all of their wealth, all of their riches were completely dependent on the generosity of the Persian Empire, even though in many cases they were giving them back what was essentially their own vessels that were stolen 70 years before, or in, and by now it's more than 70 years. But still, they only got it because the Persians decided to do so. Not because, and, and there's no grand miracles, there's no uh, you know splitting of the sea and, and ten plagues and so on, and and uh, uh, Mount Sinai revelations or anything great or grandiose occurring on this return. It's very, very humble. And very humble to the extent that Ezra was, uh, uh, was essentially just getting permission from the king and saying, we want to reestablish our temple because we want to pray for the safety of the kingdom. As we saw several times already, and we emphasized this and pointed it out, that the... Um, the motivation of the kings of Persia was not because they were uh, super generous and, and wonderful and, and they wanted to worship God, even though Cyrus might have said a few things that hinted to that. But when we analyzed his words, it became very clear that the intention of all of the Persian kings was simply 
because they wanted to shore up their empire. And they figured, what the heck, if these people put on a little mountain in this, in this forsaken, tiny little um, a province called Judea, which is a, a mess anyway, and they set up their temple and pray for our good, maybe, who knows, maybe it'll help us out. Maybe it'll help us win against our, our battles with the Greeks. Who knows, right? Because by this time, the Greco-Persian wars had already begun, and... Um, and uh, uh, the Persians were still a mighty, a solid empire, but the Greeks were slowly uh, making some serious inroads. Um, eventually, as we know, Alexander the Great, um, from a Greek um, um, a province of Macedonia, would eventually take down the entire Persian Empire, but we're not there yet. But at this point, so that's all. that was their entire intent. But meanwhile, Ezra is talking about the great and wonderful power of God. So he says, Kiboshti, because I was embarrassed, Ezra said, to ask from the king. When I was standing in front of the king, I asked for money, I asked for support, I asked for permission, I asked for all kinds of things, but I didn't ask for military protection for our caravan. I didn't ask for an army. I didn't ask for chariots to protect us from enemies on the road. Even though we're traveling with all this gold and silver and money, we would be prime targets. None of us are experienced in fighting. None of us can protect ourselves. We're traveling with families, with women, with children, um, and laden with... We're like a prime target for, for raiders and, and robbers and thieves along the way. I should have asked for a military escort, but Ezra said I was embarrassed. I couldn't, uh, uh, that because we had told the king as follows, Yad our entire excuse, the way we sold our mission to the king was by telling him that, 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 that the people that search out our God and worship our God, that our God would do good for them. And his great strength and his great wrath would come down I'll call Ozevov on anyone that forsakes God, anyone that leaves him. So after giving the king the speech about this great and powerful and mighty God who can help the Persian Empire, which is why you should let us, I felt ashamed, even though I knew in my heart that I wanted to ask for protection, I couldn't because it was embarrassing. So I had to rely on God alone. The, the power of this image, the incredible well, the helplessness on the part of Ezra, knowing that I should have asked for protection, but I couldn't ask for protection, so now I have to rely on God. This is fascinating. Whether to look at this as a strength or a weakness, something I think you should think about. It's hard for me to put my finger on it, but it's, it's a very strong, a very powerful sentence there. So what did I do? I declared a fast and prayer because I had already done everything I could within my power to secure protection. And one gets the feeling that Ezra felt when he was standing in front of the king that had he asked for protection, the king would have laughed him out the door and this entire endeavor never would have gotten off its feet in the first place. And Ezra then had to make the decision, do we go and rely on God for protection or do we just give up the whole thing? And he decided to go and rely on God. So Vanatsuma, this is verse 23, so we fasted, and we begged God regarding this by Eater Lanu, and God listened to us, he listened to our prayers, and he gave us a safe journey to the land of Judea, the land of Israel. I do want to point out one more thing from verse 22 that I just read. There's a, 
there's a theme here that's going to be very important in our understanding of the next two chapters, 9 and 10. And, and Ezra refers to those that leave God as kol ozivav, those that forsake him, those that leave him. Meaning, and, he, and what he refers to the ones that are faithful to God as the mivakshav, the one who search him, meaning the ones who go towards him. I'm pointing this out now. The significance of it, I'm going to emphasize in the, in, in the, in later in the next podcast and the one after that when we study chapters 9 and 10. But just bear that in mind. <coughs> because there's many ways that one can refer to those that seek God and those that leave God. right? But he specifically chooses forsaking him, almost like, in the, like God is over there and I'm leaving, I'm going away, I'm separating myself and leaving him. And Mivakshav is searching him, meaning constantly trying to get close to him. Trying. So it's this physical and spiritual closeness to God, which is what God wants, and this physical and spiritual separation from God, which is what God does not want. So then, verse 24, I separated out, I chose 12 of the heads of the Kohan, a Kohen families, of the priestly families, uh, the two of the heads were Sherevia and Chashavia, and a 10 other as heads for the Kohan and for the priests. And I and I counted out for them and divided out for them all of the silver and the gold and the vessels through my space, all of which had been set aside for uh, donations to the house of God, to the temple. Those which we had, the king himself had donated, the king's advisors and officers had donated, and all of the Israelites who stayed and remained in Persia but donated to the temple, I took all of that silver, and I gave to them um, uh, for them to be in charge of and to watch over uh, the following amounts, uh, 650 kikarim talents of silver, and um, as weighed in, um, in, in talents, a uh, hundred talents of Silver vessels, zohav me'akikar, and of gold, a hundred talents. Ukifore zohav esrim, and twenty uh, golden bowls, la'adar chonim elef, that were worth a thousand adar chonim, which is a coin, a Persian coin. Uchle nechoshes, <coughs> and when it comes to bronze, mutzhav, very shiny bronze. If you remember, we mentioned this uh, several times in Zechariah. We talked about the significance of the shining bronze. Here it's caused them the shining bronze tova that was good quality, shining bronze shnayim, chamuros gazov, that were as precious as gold because of how shiny and how good quality they were. Um, two such bowls. And I told the priests, Atem kodesh you are holy to God. The Akalim kodesh, and these vessels are holy to God. And the gold and the silver is a donation, is an offering to God, the Lord, who is the God of your forefathers. Shiktu v'shimru. Be very careful and guard this. Don't, I'm sorry, ad tishkulu. I apologize, I read that wrong. Until you can bring it, so be careful with it, watch it, 
don't don't show it off to your friends. Don't uh, you know uh, you know you know show it off and take it out. Leave it in a safe, secure it, watch it, and take it with you to um to the Holy Land until you can give it to the Kohanim, the priests, and the Levites, and the heads of the families of the Israelites that are currently in Jerusalem, Halishkot Beit Adonai, that are in charge of the of the um, Lishkot, meaning the rooms or the chambers where these things are stored in the house of God. The priests and the Levites took all of this uh, weight in silver and gold and vessels to bring to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Remember, this is still Ezra speaking in first person. So we traveled from the river on the 12th day of the first month of Nisan. This is just prior to the holiday of Passover, so they must have spent Passover on the road. To head on our journey towards, it, towards Jerusalem. And the hand of God was with us, and He protected us, He saved us from any enemies and any uh, ambushers that tried to start up with us on the road. God protected us. And we eventually arrived in Jerusalem. And we stayed in Jerusalem for three days just to settle down and rest from the trip before we um, conducted any business. And on the fourth day, we, we um, brought in and, and they measured out and weighed the gold and silver and vessels in the house of our God. It was done by Meremot who was the son of Uriah the Kohen, Imo Elazar ben Pinchas, and with him was Elazar, the son of Pinchas, Imoem Yozavod ben Yeshua, presumably Yozavod ben Yeshua is the son of Yoshua ben Yoshafat, who, who uh, ben Yotzarak, I mean, who we, who we learned about before, the prior high priest, and his son was now, uh, this is several, you know, in a, uh, Two, this is 20 to 40 years later, so it's his son is now there. Vinoadja ben Binui Halavim, and a man named Noadja ben Binui who was from the Levites. So they measured it out and they took the donations, Bimisbar, Bimishkalakol, and everything was exactly according to number and count. Presumably, this is demonstrating the honesty, uh, uh, both the honesty of the people that were put in charge of watching it, watching it. And also the fact that God had protected it so that nobody had attacked and stolen anything along the way. And the entire amount that was brought in the donations was written down and recorded um, at that time. The people that had now come back from the captivity, the ones that had just returned with me, uh, from the exile, Israel. They brought sacrifices, burnt sacrifices to the God of Israel. They brought twelve um, oxen, Al Yisrael, representing all of the tribes of Israel. Again, we see this, and we saw this before, that they still saw themselves as the successors to all the twelve tribes of Israel, even though, for the most part, the ten northern tribes had long disappeared from the world stage at this time. I'll call Yisrael Elim Tishim. Now Elim Tishim Veshisha. They brought ninety-six rams, kvasim shivim veshiva, seventy-seven sheep, svirechatoshne, shneim osar, and another twelve sin offerings, presumably to 
bring forgiveness on all of Israel. Hakol Ola Ladonai, all of it was brought as a burnt offering to God. And of course, there were Persian officers, Persian princes that um, that uh, that monitored and and um, were the governors of these of the of the area of this province of Judea. So they gave all of the laws and decrees that the king had made to them to demonstrate that this was a group of people supported and this mission was supported by the king. Upachavot Ever Hanar and to the governors of this entire region of over the river, meaning the uh, the the people from from beyond the Euphrates River, meaning this entire region which includes Israel, Lebanon, Jordan, etc. Venisu Esaam Vies Elohim, and they gave support to the nation and the house of God because of course this is what they were instructed by their superiors to do. So Ezra has arrived, the people have arrived, they've come to the temple, they've brought their donations to the temple as planned, they've served in the temple, brought sacrifices to the temple, and then we're going to start to see how this new arrival, this great Torah scholar, the Torah leader Ezra, who's coming to the holy house of God, but he's coming from far away, shows up at the house of God, what he finds, what he doesn't like, and what kind of trouble he's about to start making for the locals, for the people who are now locals for about two generations. Thank you so much for studying chapter 8 together. Looking forward to studying chapters 9 and 10. Have a wonderful day.